0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald around the throne were twenty-four thrones and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth then i looked and i heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Father, as we come before your word, we need your help. Lord, your word is perfect. Your word is inerrant. Your word is necessary. It's sufficient. It is your very words, and yet we're sinful people. I'm a sinful person here to charge, to to teach your word. Lord, we pray that you would help me. Sinful, flawed, limited understanding. And yet this is the means you've given us, Lord. The opening of your word on a Sunday morning with your people. Worship, prayer, the word, the table. We're thankful, Lord, and every week you've been so faithful to join and come here and speak to us and reveal to us who you are and who we are and how we can be right with you. And we're just so thankful for that, Lord. We just pray that, as I always pray, Lord, that as we leave those doors, it would be very clear that we had met with you, the living God. It's a prayer that only you can answer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series in Revelation, and isn't it beautiful to hear it read? Um, in Revelation, it says, blessed is the one who hears and obeys the prophecy of that book. And uh, it's so beautiful to hear it read. Do you guys remember the story of Elijah and his servant in Second uh, Kings 6? So this is about 900 BC. Syria has been attacking Israel over and over again. Uh, Elijah is in the city of Dothan. He wakes up in the morning, he comes out, and the Syrian army is all around the city. It says in Second Kings 6, that he arose early in the morning and went out, and behold, there was an army of horses and chariots all around the city. And his servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw all around the mountains, full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Remember that? He saw all the angelic hosts. He saw how things really were. And that's what the book of Revelation does for us. It shows us how things really are. It shows us our true situation. Uh, The angel here in Revelation uh, 4 and 5, what he's doing is he's allowing John and those churches to see how things really are. Come on up here and let me show you what your real situation is. Can you imagine how encouraging that would be to those persecuted churches? I mean, the, the Roman Empire seemed all powerful. The Roman Empire threatened them and seduced them to worship the emperor. And just like Elijah's servant, those first century believers had an opportunity to see how things really were. And that's what we see in verse one. After this, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which had spoken to me like a trumpet said, come up here. I want to show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit and behold, I saw a throne. Uh, that stood in heaven. The book of Revelation does that for us. It says, come on up here, see the command center of the world, the true command center of the world, and see what's really going on from God's vantage point. And, And you'll be changed by that. There's no way to see those realities and not be changed. And the first thing we see when that door's open in heaven, and John goes inside, and he sees how things really are, the first thing he sees is that God reigns. God reigns. Look at verse two. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one who was seated on the throne. And the one that sat on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white with golden crowns on their heads. And the throne from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder before the throne. There were burning uh, seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass. These suffering first century Christians, and even John himself needed to see that God reigns. These two chapters that Sarah read have the word throne in them 19 times, okay? So the the emphasis is clearly on God's throne room. One thing you should know about these chapters, though, is this is not a literal description of what God's throne looks like. Any more than you'll be relieved, the picture in Revelation 5 is not what Jesus really looks like. Seven eyes, seven horns, like a slain lamb, right? These are images. These are pictures. This is a vision. These are symbols. And what he's seeing are symbols of reality, right? So he sees these symbols. They're real symbols of the way things really are. And even the symbols are hard to describe. You hear John say things they had the appearance of, it was kind of like this. It was, it was as that, you know, you see all this language and it, it would be like if I dropped you in the Amazon rainforest to a tribe that has no outside contact to, to humans and human culture. And I asked you to explain to them what the internet is. What would you say? It's kind of like these. there's vines, and through the vines go things, and pictures show up on screens, and we stare at them all day and do nothing useful. (laughs) It would be very hard to describe what the internet is to people that had no idea. That's what John's doing here. He's like, well, you know, the throne looked like this. Well, it wasn't really like that. It was kind of like carnelian. It was kind of like this. It was kind of like that, right? He's grasping to say what's here. But what we do get from what's here is we get that this is God's throne room. And we see the glory coming from God's throne. And that glory looks like Mount Sinai. Look at verse 5. We did Exodus recently. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder. And there was fire torches. This sounds like Mount Sinai. Uh, We've come to the throne room of God. And there's an amazing picture here in verse 6 of God's sovereignty. It says, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In ancient thought, and especially in biblical ancient thought, the sea, especially the sea with waves and rumblings, is a picture of the anti-forces of God. The forces against God that are chaotic, and they're making the world crazy and and nuts. And we see that image all throughout scripture, that the sea is a picture of anti-God forces of chaos. In fact, in chapter 13, we're going to see that the beast that attacks God's people comes out of where? out of the sea, right? This is the place of God's enemies and the chaos and all the tumult that's in the world. Notice guys though, what does God's throne do to the raging sea of chaos in this world? It's like glass in front of his throne. His throne comes down upon the chaos, all the forces against him and subdues it all with his sovereign purposes. How's that sound right now? That sound pretty good? That's the reality of the way things really are. Aside from uh, the king and his throne, we see something else here that you'd expect in a throne room, which is his court. So these kings have courts. They have people in front of them, right? They minister to them and stuff. Great kings have great courts. God has a very fascinating court of creatures, there's the 24 elders and there's the four living creatures. The 24 elders you see in verse 4, it says around the throne, there's 24 thrones. And on each one of those thrones is, in, is one of the 24 elders and they have white garments and crowns on their heads. You think 24, what's going on here? If you look later in the book of Revelation in chapter 21, you see the city, the new Jerusalem, and it's got 12 foundations and 12 gates. One of them symbolized by the apostles. The other one is the, the 12 tribes of Israel. I think what's going on here with the 24 is it's, it's a combination of all God's people. It's the old covenant people of God symbolized by the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes. And then you have the 12 apostles symbolizing the new covenant people of God. Revelation 21 does this. And so what we have here is, is a, a picture of God's people, old covenant, new covenant, worshiping God together on thrones. And so you have all of God's people from every nation, but also every century, worshiping God and enjoying his reign. It's a beautiful picture of worship. So you're there. You're symbolized in that group. You might be alarmed a little bit by the four living creatures that come in and crash the worship service. They're a little odd. Take a look at verse 6. And around the throne and on each side of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind five, uh, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third creature had the face of a man and the fourth creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings full of eyes all around and within what's going on with these four living creatures. This is actually a composite. If you know your old Testament, you'd know that these, this is a composite of two different visions. Ezekiel one when you guys go through your Bible reading plan, there's always like Ezekiel 1, you get there with the wheels and all the, you know, vision, and you're like, what's going on there? The four living creatures are taken from that. In that vision, each creature has four faces, okay? And this one, mercifully, each one only has one face, but it's these four creatures that's taken from Ezekiel 1. And you notice the creatures he picks, a lion is the king of beasts. The ox is the strongest of domestic animals. The eagle, the most majestic of birds. And then man, which is the pinnacle of God's creation. This is a symbol of the fact, these angelic beings are symbols of the fact that God's mightiest creatures worship him. They worship him, all of creation worshiping him. And notice that they have those six wings. That's from Isaiah six, right? You know, when you had in Isaiah six, the the angels that had six wings, And they had the ones that covered their feet because of God's holiness. They had ones that shielded their eyes from God's glory. And they had the two that they flew with. And so we have a composite of those two. And just like in Isaiah 6, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. This vision is to show us that God reigns. God reigns supreme. God reigns supreme over his people. God reigns supreme over his creatures. God reigns. And I want to just ask you guys this morning... Have you forgotten that God reigns? Have you forgotten that God reigns this week? Do you know how you can know that you've forgotten that God reigns? Sinful fear and sinful anger. That's how you can know that you've forgotten that God reigns. Anytime we experience sinful fear or sinful anger, what's happening is, is that we're believing that someone or something other than God is reigning in this world. Right? It's us believing that something other than God or someone other than God is reigning in this world. And so we need to see, guys, that God reigns. Death doesn't reign. Disease doesn't reign. Lawlessness doesn't reign. Economies don't reign. Tyrants don't reign. God reigns. And you know what? God reigns, and He's not worried a bit about this world. He's totally ruling it. He loves it. He's got great purposes for it. He's not anxious, though. Before His throne is what? A sea of glass. He's like, this is all going exactly how I planned. You realize that he's not fretting. He's not like, you know, the wizard of Oz, you pull back the curtain and he's pulling all these levers frantically. No, he's sitting on his throne completely at peace with how things are going. He is working his plans. God has sovereign purposes that he's working out in this world. And guys, God reigning is fundamental to the book of Revelation. I think so many Christians read the book of Revelation and it scares them to death. And what they forget is that God reigns obviously God inspired this to be written. (laughs) This is something he planned, right? This isn't like, here's all the things that I didn't plan that are going to happen in the world. No, God reigns, right? And there's a lot of rugged things that come into this world. We've seen a lot of them already. We'll see more. And the book of Revelation depicts those rugged things in very graphic images. It's vital guys to remember that God reigns. And the fact that God reigns Is amazingly good news. And even if you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you're with us in here or you're with us on the live stream, and you're not a believer yet, you're not a a Christian yet, it's very, very good news to find out God reigns. You might have grown up thinking that, you know, this world is meaningless, it has no real purpose, that things just kind of happen randomly, that we're just kind of cosmic accidents and this is just playing out randomly. It's a very scary way to live. I've got good news for you this morning, even before you know this God, just to know that there is a God who reigns, who is in control, that is working his purposes, and that that God is good, he's all powerful, and you can know him as your father who cares for you. It's amazing news. I don't know if you guys have spread that news lately. That's kind of the pre-gospel news, right? Just that there is a God in control of all this, and you can know him, and he could care for you, and you could be right with him, and you could know that God is reigning on your behalf. And God's sovereign plan, every detail he has for this world is symbolized in the next chapter, in this chapter five, in a scroll. And it's playing out as he intended. Look at verse one. Then I saw on the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, written within and on, on the back, sealed with seven seals. So he's got this scroll in his hands. God has a scroll in his hands. This scroll symbolizes God's purposes, his plans, his promises. And these are a certainty, guys. God's plan will come about his purposes and his promises and his plans will stand. His kingdom will come as we pray in the Lord's prayer and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this scroll's about. But there's a problem, isn't there? The scroll. What's wrong with the scroll in chapter five? There's no one to open it, right? There's no one to open it. There's a problem. John felt the problem, <laughs> The churches in the first century felt the problem. I bet you felt the problem. The problem is, is that God's purposes, his plans, seem delayed, don't they? You think, okay, God's got this amazing plan for the world, like, okay let's do it. Like what's going on? What's the hesitation? There seems to be a delay. And we see this theme all throughout scripture. You see it all throughout the Psalms, people calling out, you know, for God to fulfill his purposes. We see it in chapter six with the martyrs. They say, how long, O Lord, until you judge the world? You know, there's this sense of like, why isn't it happening? Take a look at verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back and seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scrolls and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. We see in chapter six that this scroll, it represents God's purposes in the world to defeat evil and make the world right. When it opens, God's you know, plan for the, the judgment and restoration of the world starts. But there's a problem, right? It's sealed, And this is totally the way that John would have felt as a prisoner on the island of Patmos. This is totally the way the first century church would have felt. I'm sure that this is the way that you often feel, that this plan that God has is sealed. You know, you look around at the world and you go like, this doesn't look like it. Is evil winning? You know, is God's kingdom delayed? And so our reactions, just like John's in verse four, it says he weeps. He says, I began to weep aloud because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to open it or even to look into it. John weeps for God to act, for his kingdom to come. He's like, who's going to conquer evil? Who's going to make this world right? Who's going to fix this world? We're in a season where we ask that question, right? Every four years, we ask the question, who will fix this world? Who will set things right? Who will make things the way they should be? You know? Who's going to conquer evil and and make everything perfect for us? You know what verse 4 says? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. There is no human being, alive or dead, that is able to fix this world. Okay? So I know you guys have certain presidents you'd like to resurrect. You know, and like, hey, you know what? I've heard some of you say, like, you know, if Reagan came back to life, no questions asked. We'll just have him lead. You know, I've heard people say that. Like, I wouldn't even ask a question how it happened, okay? Desperate, right? It says, no person alive or dead can fix the mess we're in, right? No one could open the scroll. So is it hopeless? It's not hopeless. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he can conquer. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. Isn't that cool? Lion of the tribe of Judah. You can imagine those first century Christians going, oh, cool, lion. That's exactly what we need. Like, let's bring out the lion. Let's bring out the lion to shred our Roman oppressors and be liberated, right? But there's a surprise here, right? Because John, he hears about a lion, but he looks and what is it? It's not a lion. It's a strange thing, right? Behold the lion. He goes, behold the lion. Okay, I'll look over here. And what does he see? Take a look at verse 6. And between the thrones and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. You're like, lamb? A lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which is the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. And he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You can you imagine those first century believers going like, no, 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 not a lamb. You said lion. <laughs> we don't need a lamb. Lamb's not what we need right now. We're being destroyed by the Roman Empire, okay? Lamb's not going to cut it, right? But look at who this lamb is. Look at the strange features of this lamb. This is not, I mean, if you guys raised lambs for 4-H or something, you probably never had one like this, okay? It has seven horns, okay? Which would be different, verse 6. Horns in ancient times were a symbol of power, very common symbol of power. It's in Daniel. It's all through Revelation. It's in all the apocalyptic literature. Horns mean power, and he has seven of them. So this lamb has all power. Seven is completeness. He has all power. He also, though, has, and this is the part that stretches you a little more, seven eyes. Kind of Creepy. Keep in mind, guys, that this is not a literal description of what Jesus looks like. These, there's a vision. These are symbols. They mean something. Eyes, of course, mean seeing. They mean knowing. Seven is a number of completeness. This lamb has all knowledge. This lamb that was slain has all power and all knowledge. So let me ask you this. How does this lamb who has all power and all knowledge, how does he conquer evil? It might surprise you. Look at verse 9. And they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This lamb, it's all powerful, has all insight, all knowledge, conquers the evil, the real evil in this world by being slain for sinners. Surprising not surprising to you if you've been in church a long time, but that's surprising. That's how he's able to open the seals on the scroll and bring all of God's purposes to bear in this world in the defeat of evil and making the whole world new. Jesus conquered the power of evil by being a lamb slain to ransom us as a kingdom of priests to reign in the world that's new. What does that imagery sound like? That remind you of something in the Old Testament? This whole slain lamb, ransom, kingdom and priests? Reminds you of the book of Exodus. We were just in it. That lamb slain reminds us of the Passover lamb. His blood covers our sin and frees us from the bondage to to Egypt. Uh, He freed them from the bondage to Egypt. Ransomed them out. Remember when God took the people to Mount Sinai. He told them that he was going to make them a kingdom of priests. Jesus, in the same way, is our true Passover lamb. His blood covers our sin. He makes us right with God. The judgment that we deserve is just going to pass right over us, just like the judgment passed right over the Israelites in Egypt because we appear righteous in Jesus. Jesus' blood frees us from bondage to Satan, the true Pharaoh of this world. Right, And though that enemy, Satan, continues to pursue us like Pharaoh pursued the people to try and re-enslave us, we're freed. And now we're on a journey, right? We're wandering in the wilderness to the true promised land, where He's going to make the world new. And He's made us a kingdom of priests. Jesus conquered evil by death. He took the cross to get the crown. This is very countercultural. It was countercultural then? It's way countercultural now. Okay, our culture is very Roman in this sense. Um, Jesus conquered evil through death. He took the cross before He took the crown. Notice here, guys, in this passage that Jesus is a lamb that had been slain. Isn't that cool? He had been slain. So you're not seeing like a dead lamb. You're seeing a lamb that had been slain. And it says what? That he says he's standing. Three days after Jesus died, he rose again from the dead. It says that he has seven horns. He has all power. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended. He's reigning in heaven right now on his throne. It says that he sent out his spirit. Look at verse 6. And the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Ten days after the ascension, Pentecost, he sends out his spirit. And so Jesus is now reigning in heaven, sends out his spirit into his people so that they might reign and conquer evil in this world. Jesus took the cross before he took the crown. It was death before resurrection. It's, it's shame before vindication. And now his Holy Spirit is working through us to do the same thing. So how do we conquer evil? I think that's an important question. You know, there's a lot of evil in your immediate area. There's a lot of evil in the world. How do we conquer evil in this world? The same way Jesus did. This is the part, guys, that I think if you're not paying attention, probably will not bother you. If you are paying attention, this will bother you because this is directly against everything you are ever taught to believe. Okay? That you will conquer evil the same way Jesus did. It's cross before crown. Take a look at Revelation 12, uh, 11. It says that they have conquered him, the dragon in that sense. They've conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they did not love their lives even unto death. Guys, we reign and we conquer now, but it's a cross-shaped reigning. We don't reign now by seizing power. We don't reign now by seizing power over others, but by suffering, taking the gospel to all people. That's God's plan for you. I know that everything you've ever been taught is that you know, you're gonna have your best life now and God wants to make you conquer over the world by having power and wealth and people's approval and all those kind of things. But Jesus' plan for you actually is that you would reign now by believing the gospel, by sharing the gospel and by dying for the gospel. So by believing the gospel, sharing the gospel and dying for the gospel. I mean, look at that verse. We get vindication through resurrection after death it's cross then crown. That's how Satan's power is weakened, by the way. It's weakened by us sharing the gospel with others, dying to ourselves, dying physically if necessary, but spending ourselves for our neighbors, giving ourselves to our neighbors. I mean, think about the whole pattern that plays out in the book of Revelation. Think of how encouraging guys this would have been to the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia. Those are the persecuted churches, right? How amazing would it have been for them to hear, you know what, the way you share the gospel, you're faithful to the gospel, and the way you're dying for the gospel, I know it looks super weak, and you think you must be doing something wrong. You have God himself saying, you're doing it exactly right. That's exactly the way God has for us to conquer in this world. That's exactly the way he has for us to defeat evil, is by being faithful to the gospel and dying for the gospel. And it would be so encouraging. I think, though, it's a tough answer for us to hear because we as Americans believe, don't believe in cross and crown. Everything in our culture tells us that we need to be in power to advance the kingdom. Everything we've been told says that we have to have power to advance the kingdom. That our hope of our future is somehow by us having power, which probably makes us the least prepared Christians ever to deal with what's coming. Okay? Like, when you read the book of Revelation... We're probably the least prepared Christians ever to deal with what's coming. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they love not their lives even unto death. It's cross then crown. We conquer through believing the gospel, sharing the gospel and dying for the gospel. That's how Satan's power is weakened. And that's what the only two healthy churches in the book of Revelation were doing. You guys realize that? The other five were radically unhealthy churches. The healthy ones were the ones that were doing cross, then crown. And that doesn't mean we suffer like stoically, right? You know, when we see the world and it's not the way it should be, we cry out to God in prayer, we weep like John did, right? When we see hardships come, we weep like John. We say when we see evil and it's growing and we see God's purposes seem delayed and we feel like that scroll's not opening. We weep like John did. But then we hear in verse five, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered and he will open the scrolls. The cross guys means that all evil will be defeated and this world will be made new. Guaranteed. The cross guarantees that our future is secure. How should we respond? How do we respond to news like that? The book of Revelation actually shows us how to respond. Chapters 4 and 5 show us the way to respond is worship. Okay? We're to respond in worship. No matter how crazy things get, right? Right? Now how out of control they seem. We respond in worship because God is worthy. God is sovereign. God is good. God is in control. God is working all of his purposes in the world. So no matter how crazy it gets, we worship. Did you notice the theme of worship in this chapter, in these two chapters? Did you notice it grows? This is kind of fun. It grows. It starts with just the four living creatures. The four living creatures are the first ones to worship. See that in verse eight. They have the six wings, right? And they're full of eyes all around. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and is and is to come. They're worshiping God for his dazzling holiness. Is God worthy to be worshiped this morning for his dazzling holiness? Right? He's worthy to be worshiped for that. And then notice the four living creatures start. And then who joins in? Then the 24 elders are like, oh, that sounds good. We'll worship too. Look at verse nine. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne and lives forever, the 24 elders fall down. Expressive in worship, aren't they? They fall down. They don't think like, yeah, I wonder if the lion face guy is gonna see me A little too fired up in worship, you know? So they fall down and they throw their crowns before him and they say, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they exist and created. So we go from four living creatures, now we got 28, right? We got 24 elders too. And they're worshiping God for their existence. Is God worthy to be worshiped this morning for your existence? You exist. Isn't that crazy? Have you noticed you exist? God made you exist. We should worship him for that. And then the crowd gets bigger. Check this out. It's like this weird flash mob thing. Chapter 5, verse 8. The first 28 are worshiping. And they sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you have ransomed people from, for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked... And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the 24 elders, many voices of angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So there's like hundreds of millions of angels, right? So you got four, then there's 28, then there's, you know, this would be difficult to count, but you could count it. It's kind of tricky. And what are they worshiping him for? They're worshiping him because God himself volunteered to be slain in your place. Okay. Do you realize that God himself volunteered to become a man and be slain in your place? Show of hands, has anyone ever volunteered to be slain in your place? Maybe there's one of you here. God himself became a man and volunteered to be slain in your place. Slain, pierced, die, a piece of wood in the hot sun for your sin. It's amazing. We should worship him for that. And then notice it gets bigger after that. So we've got hundreds of millions. And then what happens? The entire creation joins in. Look at verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. Every creature under heaven, every creature under the sea, all of God's creation, worshiping him. Guys, that's the story of the book of Revelation. Revelation. If you look at the last two chapters, that's where we're headed. That's where this world is headed. This world is headed to his entire creation, worshiping Jesus in the world to come. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you joined in on that worship? You know, whether you're here with us now or you're on the live stream, today could be the day that you start to live what you're really meant to be, a worshiper of the Lamb. Today could be that day. You could stop worshiping all the other things in your life and you could worship the lamb. That's what the entire story of reality is about. If you're not doing that, you're missing your whole reason for existence, which is not a small error, right? It's not a small error to miss the whole purpose. The entire reality is to worship the lamb. You could do that this morning. On the night before he offered himself on the cross, for that. He instituted a form of worship. Jesus himself, the lamb, this lamb, instituted a meal called the Lord's Supper. And we're going to take that in a second. Um, we're going to take this bread and this cup to remind us of the body and blood of Jesus. And it also feeds and strengthens our souls. If he's your hope this morning, if he's the one you worship with your life, if he's the one you trust in to be right with God, if he is that Passover lamb that's removed all your sin, that's freed you from slavery to sin, and that is giving you this hope, then we invite you to take this with us. If you haven't yet been baptized as a sign of the promises that God has given you in that, please let me know. We want to baptize you next week. But if that's your hope, take, take the Lord's Supper with us. Let's pray. We thank you, our Father and our God, For the hope this meal gives us. We know as we take it that Jesus will return as a triumphant king. The dead will be raised and all people will be judged. And we face that day without fear because you, our judge, are also our savior. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember that our sin has been removed by the death of your holy son in our place. May our daily lives of service, be aimed for the moment that we will appear before you in glory. Having all our sins washed away in his blood. Let's first take the bread. Take, eat, remember and believe that Christ the Lamb of God was slain to take away all of your sin, all of your sin. Let's take it together. take the cup together take drink remember and believe that the blood of Christ has ransomed you from your sin and made you a kingdom of priests that will reign in the world to come we can drink to that right eternal God heavenly father you've graciously accepted us as living members of your son Jesus Christ you have fed us with this spiritual food from your table. You have fed us with the spiritual food of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to be those people who are ready to take the cross before the crown. Father, even as I said, that, I think we're the least prepared, including myself, the least prepared people, the least prepared Christians ever to face the things to come. We pray, Lord, that you, this would be a part of your strengthening us. Lord, you give us your word to, to strengthen our spiritual bones, to make our spiritual heart beat with strength, to sharpen our minds. And we're just so thankful, Lord, that your word changes us, that we can come in weak and leave strong. And we thank you for doing that through the food of your word and the food of this table. We pray, Lord, that you'd send us out into the world in peace. We think about the sea of glass before your throne. Make that our hearts. It would be like a sea of glass as we trust in your sovereign purposes in the world. We pray, Lord, that you would send us out in love. We think of the love of your son, that he had to die for our sins. We pray you'd give us that heart for our neighbors. We pray, Lord, that you would give us peace, and strength, and courage to love and serve the people around us with gladness, with joy in our hearts, because we know the end of the story. We know what you're doing. You've told us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.